0: You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org.
1: Good morning, EBF. My name is Antonio Gonzalez. This is my wife Tina and our son, oldest son Jackson, and we'll be doing the Advent reading for today.
0: Good morning, EBF. Today we begin the celebration of Advent, a season we eagerly anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ. We celebrate Advent on the four, se- so four Sundays leading up to Christmas by hearing scripture, lighting candles, singing praises, and remembering the hope, peace, joy, and love that Jesus brings. The purple candles remind us of royalty. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The evergreen reminds us that Jesus brings eternal life. The wreath reminds us that his kingdom will have no end. Hear now the words spoken by the prophet in Jeremiah 33:14 14 through 16. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch and sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior.
1: Hear also these words of hope in Psalm 25, verses 1 through 10. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. All right,
0: and then... Jackson's going to read the next part, and then when we say everyone join us, um, feel free to read the words that are on the screen. Prepare the way of the Lord. We light this candle in hope, uh, the hope of our coming Savior Jesus. Everybody says, Prepare the way of the Lord.
1: Let's pray. God of all hope, open our hearts in welcome, that your son, Jesus Christ, at his coming, may find in us a dwelling prepared for him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Good morning, EBF family. It's so
2: good to be with you. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thank you for rolling yourself in here this morning, and uh, this is the beginning of Advent, a season when we eagerly anticipate the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, greetings to all that are here, to those that are joining us via live stream. It's good to have you with us. And as I mentioned, I hope I hope you indeed had a good a good Thanksgiving. And one of the things I wanted to mention is that we have a new member to welcome into our family, and that is. Benjamin Thomas Graham, who was born on the 22nd at 1.54 a.m. grahams I'm sure you guys are watching right now. Welcome, Benjamin. Uh, Mom and baby are doing great. He was born 10 pounds, 5 ounces, 22.25 inches long. And so uh, there are some tangible ways we're going to be able to love on this family in the coming weeks. Uh, especially in providing meals. And so dust off some of your best recipes. We'd love to uh, love on this sweet family. And as I mentioned, this is the beginning of Advent. And uh, what a wonderful way to start off this season as we find ourselves in between Christ's first coming and his second coming. And so as we dive into God's word this morning in a message called The Sprout of Hope Would you join me in a word of prayer? Let's pray. O God, our beginning and our end, by whose command time runs its course, walk with us in our impatience. Perfect our faith. And while we await the fulfillment of your promises, grant us hope in your word. Illumine your word this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray. Help us to better grasp the heights and depths, O Lord, of your great love for us. Would you inspire us with your words of truth and your words of hope? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The great proclamation, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, assures us that God has entered into human history through the incarnation of his Son, Jesus Christ. The season of Advent, a season of waiting, is designed to cultivate in us an awareness of God's actions, past, present, and future. And in Advent, we hear the prophecies of of the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, as addressed to us now who find ourselves between the Advents. And in Advent, our anticipation is heightened for the fulfillment of all the biblical promises. When the wolf will lie down with the lamb, when death will be swallowed up and every tear wiped dry. In this way, Advent highlights for us the larger story of God's redemptive plan. Amidst unthinkable tragedies, even like that which took place this past week during the Waukesha Christmas parade, we are reminded that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. That creation groans, awaiting its restoration, and yet into seemingly hopeless situations, the word The word of God speaks. In fact, the storyline of scripture really is a story of hope from beginning to end. A story of hope from cover to cover. It is the story of the great lengths that God would go to to renew and reclaim his people and to restore his good creation. And so in our time together this morning, let us enter into this story of hope This story of hope in the pages of Scripture, and here especially the words of the prophet Jeremiah. This story of hope, a little different than what we normally do here here at EBF. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark together, one passage at a time. Here, instead, we're going to trace this theme, this theme of hope, from the seed that God plants to the sapling, the tree that then is raised up in David, that is then reduced to a stump. But from that stump, a sprout of hope emerges. In the very first words of the story, we are introduced to the God of creation who made everything out of nothing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Being in in Colorado this past summer, and seeing the mountains there, I was, we were reminded just of the grandeur of God and all that he spoke into existence, all that he made with his good hand. And even as we drove on Thanksgiving Day through or next to and in the river, the Illinois River Valley, we again were reminded of his goodness, his grandeur, all that he has made. Do you remember the song that we sing in children's ministry? Kids, you might be able to, re- to sing it better than I do my God is so big. Sometimes our kids come home from church. Church never underestimate the power of a good song, especially in teaching these rich truths to our kids. Sometimes they come home singing this song. You think we can try it, dust it off? I know we're all hiding behind our masks, but so that's okay. Something like this. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Remember this part? The mountains are his. The rivers are his. The stars are his handiwork, too. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. That's right. There's nothing that he cannot do. May we be constantly and continuously amazed by all that God has done, his creative act, and to top off his good world, he made human beings in his image, to represent him as, as his co-regents in his good world. He made us in his image to reflect his glory. We were, we were made to worship him. We were made to enjoy perfect fellowship with him. But as we know, something went radically wrong. And through the sin of Adam and Eve, all humankind rebelled against our creator and used the breath that he had placed within our very lungs to utter curses against God's good name. And sin has come to affect and infect everything, people, systems, institutions, society, everything. And this tension is introduced so early in the story that none of us can comprehend a world that is not marred by brokenness and sin. And yet, even in the curse that God utters against the serpent, the first glimmer of hope appears. Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head And you will strike his heel. Did you catch that? God promises that a future descendant of Eve would be wounded, but would deal the decisive death blow to Satan. And Genesis 3.15 has come to be known as the first gospel, the first sign of what God would do to reclaim his people and to renew his creation out of the darkness Hope appears. Then in Genesis 12, God calls a man named Abram, later refers to him as Abraham, to leave everything that is known and familiar and to go to the land that God would show him. God says to him in Genesis 12, 2 through 3, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Here and elsewhere, God promises Abraham land to call his own seed, or we might say descendants, and blessing. Land, seed, and blessing. And in fact, this blessing will extend to all the peoples of the earth. Well, for someone like Abraham and his wife Sarah, who were unable to have children for decades This must have sounded almost unbelievable. But Abraham believed God and responded to the call to follow God's leading. And true to his word, God blesses Abraham with countless descendants, as many as the stars in the sky. And his grandson, Jacob, has 12 sons who become the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. At the very end of his life, Jacob pronounces a blessing upon his 12 sons, and here's what God inspires him to say about his son Judah in Genesis 49.10. It says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. This promise looks forward to a future king who will be a descendant from the tribe of Judah. And this king will have the nations pledge their obedience To him. Fast forward then to the story of Ruth. It is a marvelous story of redemption. I highly recommend it, commend it to you. And God breathes hope into Naomi and Ruth's seemingly hopeless situation and provides for their needs through the marriage of Ruth and Boaz. The book of Ruth ends with a genealogical record. Ruth 4, 18 through 22, and it starts like this. Perez, Perez, whose father was Judah, was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. As you can probably tell, most of this message is really hearing scripture, and that is my heart in sharing this, this storyline from the seed to, this, to the stump, to the sprout. But it is the same David, the youngest son of Jesse who is plucked from a life of tending flocks and anointed king by the prophet Samuel. David, who is described as a man after God's own heart, has God come to form a covenant with him. In 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 12, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Verse 16, your house and your kingdom will ensure endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Hope of worldwide blessing is tied to the house of David. It is David who penned such beautiful psalms as Psalm 25, which we just heard read. Verses 4 to 5 says, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all the day long. But even David, we see his own brokenness as he engages in adultery, murder, and cover-up, leading to then the unraveling of the kingship and eventually the kingdoms becoming divided between north and south. And there are some good apples among the kings like Josiah, but for the most part, they are rotten to the core. And from the once mighty tree of David's kingship, all that is left, all that it is reduced to is a stump. God sends his prophets to proclaim his good word and draw his leaders that he calls shepherds and his people back to himself. And one such prophet is the prophet Jeremiah, who God calls to speak to the people of Jerusalem from the reign of King Josiah all the way to the fall, the city's final fall to the Babylonian Empire. And in Jeremiah 33, 14 to 16, we hear these words that the prophet cries out, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. This is a passage that drips with references to the appointed time. I don't know if you caught that along the way, but the days are coming. In those days, at that time, God would fulfill the good promise he made to Israel and Judah. Remember Genesis 49, verse 10. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. David's line is reduced to a stump, but from that stump, a sprout, a sprout of hope will emerge, a righteous branch, none other than the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one, long promised by the prophets. Eventually, in the Old Testament, the enemies of God's people triumph. The temple is destroyed and they are taken into exile. And when some are finally allowed to return to the land, Israel is but a shadow of its former glory days. And we're left wondering at that point whether what will happen and whether God's promises will indeed come true. Well, hundreds of years later, the angel Gabriel appears to a woman named Mary. Luke 1, 30 through 33, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. There it is. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is at just the right time. God sent his son. Galatians 4, 4 reminds us of that. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Church, the truth is that we are utterly hopeless without Christ. And 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 reminds us of this in saying, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And in what is the pinnacle of hope, Romans 5, 1 through 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Fast forward to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 11 verse one says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not. See. Church, we're in need of a little bit of a course correction in how we think about the word hope often. We often use this word hope almost like, how would I describe it? Wishful thinking? Does that make sense? We might say, I hope I get an A on that test, or I hope the Bears win the Super Bowl, or You know, I hope I get a raise next year. But biblical hope is not in this way. It is so much more than wishful thinking. Biblical hope is a sure hope. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It is a sure hope. It is a fixed hope. Why? Because it is grounded in God. And it is made possible because of his son, Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Our hope is in him. Paul picks up the similar prophecy in Isaiah in Romans fifteen twelve and writes, and again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations, and in him the Gentiles will hope. A time is coming when Jesus will return as the conquering king. And we will be fully reunited with God. And this picture of hope is found in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. It says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as He is pure. From the seed to the stump to the sprout of hope. Here is the bottom line. Hope in the Lord because his promises are true. His son has come and his creation will be restored. Hope in the Lord because his promises are true. His son has come and his creation will be restored. Psalm 25, 3 teaches us that at its core, God Himself is the foundation of hope. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. Then Psalm 37, 9 reminds us that our hope is to be in Yahweh, for those who are evil will be destroyed. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. The same hope that is grounded in God in the Old Testament is also found in Jesus. First Timothy 1:1 1, 1 says Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Hope in the Lord because his promises are true. His son has come and his creation will be restored. This hope that we have, this hope that we have is an anchor for the soul has past and present and future dynamics to it. Hope in the Lord because his promises are true. Our hope in the Lord is rooted in what he has said and done in the past. And this is a wonderful time of year when we are especially reminded of the myriads of prophecies of Scripture that, was fu- that were fulfilled in the coming of the Messiah. And so many of God's promises in Scripture have come true. This should make our hope even more robust. And echoing what paul writes in romans 15:4 for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide we might have hope there are many promises in scripture that have yet to be fulfilled but we can have confidence knowing that the same god of hope will continue his work until everything is complete Hope in the Lord because his promises are true. Second, hope in the Lord because his son has come. Our hope in the Lord finds its its present expression in the person of Jesus Christ. And at just the right time, God sent his son into the world to serve humanity, to give his life as a ransom for many. And when he rose again from the grave, he conquered sin and death once and for all. Confidence in God provides hope regardless of the situations and circumstances that we may face in life. Whether when tragedy strikes, when we face a disease such as COVID, even in the loss of a loved one, hope should come to inform even how we view death itself. If I could just camp out on this for a moment. A biblical theological framework of death, yes, must begin with the goodness of God. We must never lose sight of this. And any discussion on death must begin by reinforcing this doctrine. The goodness of God, too, is linked with his his sovereignty and his plan. His will prevails. His wide gaze discerns all. And as human beings, we constantly need to be reminded that God, God is God, and we are not. But God is not capricious. He always acts in accordance with his character, and part of his very character is his utter goodness. This framework must also take into account salvation history, some of which we have just traced from creation to fall to redemption to consummation. I have heard people say, sometimes well-intentioned, even in trying to comfort a loved one, death is just a natural part of life. But this, is, this could not be further from the truth. Death was not part of God's wonderful creation. Death is evil, and it came about as a result of sin. Death is not the way it's supposed to be. And we must not deny the fact that death is evil. But thank God that he has not left us in this state. For a biblical framework of death must end with hope. This is the most important part by far. Christ came to earth and suffered in our place. And he achieved victory over sin and death. Paul tells the Corinthians, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. In 1 Corinthians 15. And while we await our blessed hope, we still experience pain and suffering, grief and mourning. But God provides us with comfort in our affliction and grants us the peace that only he can bring. And ultimately, we await our final destination, Complete unity with Christ for all creation, for all eternity. Hope in the Lord because his son has come. And third, hope in the Lord because his creation will be restored. Our hope in the Lord looks forward to the glorious future that awaits, even as we find ourselves in that space between his first coming and his second coming. And a time is coming when he will return as the conquering king. And we are meant to ask if we are prepared, if we are ready for his coming again in glory. Our great hope is not that we will simply be taken into heaven, but that heaven is coming to earth. Someday creation will be restored, but not to its present form. The drama of redemption flows from the garden to a city. The wolf will lie down with with the lamb, and death will be swallowed up, and every tear will be wiped dry. We will be in the presence of our God and King forever. Dear friends, let us hope in the Lord, because His promises are true. His Son has come. And his creation will be restored. Even as we sang, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Amen, church. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, even in the stillness, we recognize that you are there. We recognize the hope that you bring to those that are mourning. Father, would you comfort, would you bear up those even among us that may be grieving, suffering? Lord, may we look to you. We recognize that you are the God of hope we ask that even in the midst of that pain, even as we are reminded that things are not the way that they're supposed to be, would you fill us, Lord, with deep-seated joy? Give us the peace that only you can bring, and may we trust in you. Lord, cause us to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Lord, cause us to grow even in this hope, the hope that we have as an anchor for the soul, firm and steadfast. Remind us of these truths. Remind us of the hope, the peace, and the joy, and the love that we have through your Son, even in this season, this season of eagerly anticipating our Savior, Jesus Christ. we pray this all in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.
1: Thanks
0: for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.